0: The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody.
1: Welcome to issue 184 of Super Skull. It's your weekly new comic day audio digest for the week of March 14th, 2018. I'm here with Marcus Gumbo Schwimmer. I did have
2: some gumbo for lunch.
1: And I'm here with Curtis Crawdad Sullivan.
2: It feels
1: good to be with y'all today. It's, it feels very good to be with you guys today. This is uh, a couple weeks of no producer Rachel Polk at this point in the studio with us. She's doing all the editing. We're sending off these episodes. She's putting her imprimatur on
0: it, right? Mm-hmm. She's making it good. She's perfuming it, if you will. If you want. With I don't know, what does that mean? With her style, she's imbibing it with her je ne sais, yes, something or other. She is, but I've had to do the big board for us for the last
1: couple of weeks. You mean the
2: soundboard? that's what the big board is. We
1: call it the big board in, yeah, the, in, yep. the, in, the, in the industry, we call it the big
0: board. <laughs> okay. There's
1: a lot of knobs on the big board.
0: It's like knobs, there's buttons, there's dials, there's wheels. And then you you press
1: one button, and then all the other buttons do different buttons. I think it's a
2: conspiracy from like... The people who use board union,
1: you think it's big board?
2: I think yeah. So they're like, well, we don't want people to get into our industry, so we're gonna put a million buttons on this thing. Half of
0: them only fuck with all of the other buttons. Yeah. Oh wow. You press one button and it right. turns another three buttons into some other buttons. It goes pretty deep, is what you're saying. That's I think conspiracy it goes, deep. goes pretty deep.
1: I'm
2: not saying Illuminati, but I'm saying Illuminati. Wow,
0: going right to Illuminati. No, it ties directly into I think probably the flat earther situation. <laughs> oh, please tell me why. Well, it's because, imagine a conspiracy that is hundreds of thousands of people over decades. Okay. And and they keep their secret and it all works. And the secret being that the world is actually flat. It's totally flat. And we just pretend that it's round. And, and that we pretend it's round and all these buttons actually mean something. Right, It right. seems, it feels do you think, right.
1: Do you think Rick Rubin is at the head of this conspiracy? Wow. Rick Rubin has the most to lose. He, he you're does, right. you're right. right. Rick Rubin, we demand... I feel like this is dangerous. A response. I feel like this is the Pelican Brief. Do you guys feel like this is the Pelican Brief? I feel like Julia Roberts (laughs) right
0: now in the Pelican Brief. (laughs) I only peripherally know what you're talking about, but fuck yeah. Yeah.
1: Nick, can we talk
2: about another injustice? Please. I, uh, because you're on the big board. You're
1: the big boy in the big
2: board. I'm the big boy on the big board. But, so someone has to test your microphone when you're on the big board. Yeah, because we all
1: sit in these seats and you got to get the levels, but I'm over on the big board... Right, yeah. doing big board things, uh-huh. and then somebody has to sit in my seat to to talk into it so that we can get my right. levels because I can't be in the room. So
2: I sat in your seat today. I've, I don't sit in your seat because it's your seat, and, and I, I like and rules. And that's how I like it. And I like rules. I'm yeah. a, I'm a play I'm played straight. But I had to sit in your seat today as you're like, and I want to talk about the um, how ridiculously, uh, how much more comfortable your seat is. And I'm rattled by it, as you can tell. Yeah. Your seat, your chair is... By and large, the nicest chair in this recording studio. And it's not a sub- It's not a little bit amount. it's substantially more comfortable.
1: Let me tell you a couple things. Can I say a couple things in response to this? First of all, I would prefer that when you have to set my levels that you stand and not sit in this mm. seat. First of all, because the microphone does, it moves. It's got a vertical axis. Like you don't have to sit in my seat when you're setting my levels. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, w- you, if you want to, when you start bringing the flavor, you can sit in, in wow. the big boy seat. I just feel like it's earned. I didn't want to talk about this. If you want to talk about this, we can talk about this. You're, you're but if So we, you tell me when you're ready to bring the flavor, yeah. and then we can talk about the seat situation. I find it
2: interesting because if we were both lollipops, I'd be beautiful Michigan cherry, and you'd be drywall.
1: So I don't really want to hear about Zang.
2: the flavor. What does that even Zang. mean? It means that you taste like drywall.
0: That's your flavor. I will say that I noticed that that now that I'm back in my chair, it's just one square. So it's like both my butt cheeks are kind of fighting for yeah. just one square. Sure, but Nick's chair—it's a—it's a, it's a two-cheek chair. It's—it's.
1: It's you know, I think
0: zingers like
1: this. I think that you, the both of you just demonstrated is why everyone is in the seat that they deserve. That's all I'm saying. I think it's pretty evident, even from this little exchange right here, why who's sitting where. Who
2: gave you the power to assign <laughs> seats? dude we didn't
1: vote on this no nobody I think these things just kind of happen don't you feel like they just kind of happen like organically the way exactly the way that they should and appropriate exactly to our position I'm done with you I just feel like that's what happened do Um, you guys want to do some uh do you guys (laughs) want to do the comic book podcast I suppose we should whatever okay I love you I love you let's talk about some news in the news
2: Marcus, hello. Do you have any news? I do have news. So it was recently announced that digital manga sales passed physical manga sales in the country of Japan in 2017. That's... And that's really important. I know it may, it may not sound important.
0: It sounds important. It's cr- for us, it's very important. It's massively gigantic. Yeah,
2: so essentially what that means is that more people went to their computer or tablet i still hate that we have to define them as tablets and we Mm -hmm. can't they just all can't be computers but they went to their digital device i hate the word
1: podcast i'm right there with you yeah
2: it's not my favorite either way people went to their digital device and downloaded a a manga volume um, instead of going out to a store and buying a physical copy sure um what does this mean this means digital manga sold and these numbers will keep me up at night for a little while so digital manga sales for 2017 uh, ended up being around $1.6
1: billion. And Curtis, will you just clarify, what is the American
0: comic book market of all comic books? So we should say, too, so that's $1.6 in physical copies, and in the entirety of the U.S. market... 1 billion dollars and that's everything that's graphic novels that's single issues that's all of it It, that's manga and that's the best year in comics in 20 years is a billion dollars yeah manga you combine digital and physical it's over 3 billion in a year so
1: we have digital did 1.6 correct 1.6 compared to physical which did 1.56
2: seems
1: like a pretty big deal It's a huge deal. Not only that,
2: uh, last year digital book sales grew by 17% year-on-year, while physical books fell 14%. Their whole market did fall about 1% kind of in total, But and this is largely attributed to a continuing problem with internet piracy. Uh, Manga books will just come out and people will scan them that day or right before. Sure, It's a huge problem in the manga industry, but uh, man- it's uh it's pretty wild. And I think it's it's a it's a sign about what is how that particular market is going to grow and w- how it's going to affect us in the United States.
1: Could be a could be a harbinger, could be a raven. Yeah, could I mean, be a raven sp- flapping at our window. Yeah, we'll see cuz you know, I always Curtis think, doesn't think so. I, I, I
0: want to look at the positive side of this. It's Talk a giant me. industry mm-hmm. and despite piracy and despite digital, you really a 1% move on a 3 billion dollar industry is not anything to you know, the sky isn't falling. For that's a that's for, a massive industry where lots and lots and lots of people are reading comic books. I,
1: I think, think the the concern is the digital surpassing the physical, sure, though, not sure. the overall yeah, decline. Yeah, right,
0: yeah, right. Yeah. No, and it's just th- those are trends, and that's gonna. I think that's that's what we're looking at as we go in the world. Yeah, the world today as it is. As Marcus it is, knows. I do know. You know, uh, people got devices and they want to read on them for some fucking reason. People nope. got people do begot devices.
2: I will say. Um, so recently, my girlfriend has started reading. Um, comics through a, a website, um, and they're they're like creator submitted. They're not pirated comic books. Sure, but she just does it on her iPhone. You know, we're going to bed. She's reading some comics, mm. um, and I wonder if manga is a little bit more transferable to a digital format than American comic books. For the most part, I you know, I'm not saying that every single manga volume is like this, but a lot of manga sticks to a, a panel format Mm -hmm. and it's pretty consistent throughout the entire book series american comic books i think are a little bit more loose in that department
0: the pages are bigger they are bigger yep mm -hmm. absolutely so
2: the big thing i think that we should take away from this is japan already has a larger kind of comic uh, market even though most of it is what we consider manga Mm -hmm. they have a bigger comic culture than we do.
0: Yes, it's it blows away the American comic market. It's absolutely staggering, far and away. Right,
2: yeah. and so as we watch this trend of their major comic industry going more digital, for me, it's only a signal of things to come here in the U.S. That's
1: what it's looking like. That's what it's looking like.
0: Hey, you do, Zach. You found some news. T- talk to me. Uh, So Stan Lee has been in the news lately First he had a little bit of health stuff He went to the hospital, he's fine Stan Lee plays for the Baltimore Orioles He plays for the Ravens The Minnesota Ravens The Minnesota Omens No, he is Stan Lee Lieber He is the editor-in-chief Emeritus of Marvel Comics yeah, And he's created so many things. Yeah, All he's, the things. He's a big deal. He's a big deal in the comic yeah. book industry. You've seen him in every single Marvel movie. Every he's one. a big deal. He's a he cameo continues co- to be
1: a cultural force. Yes, an somehow, icon, if you will. In his 90s. I, 95.
0: Met, him, I
2: met him last year. And, and, you, and, and you met him. Yeah, he's. A, I mean, he was a beautifully
0: nice human being. Wonderful. Like an angel. Well, here's the thing. His wife passed away about seven months ago. His wife of 70 years. And as it turns out, Stan Lee is unfortunately... Or, or as this article that we found on the Daily Beast. And there's a few articles online. Check them out. Uh, you know, use the Googles and all that. But Stanley maybe has some vipers in his midst. Yeah. Some, some charlatans who are uh, transferring money illegally from his bank accounts, buying million and a half dollar real estate, you know, deals. Yeah. With Stanley's money. Yeah. And he's rapidly running out of cash and he is uh, in trouble. So there's some folks coming in trying to... Save Stan, uh, his longtime bodyguard has been ousted, was forced out of his estate by the police. Possibly the source of a lot of this fraud. All of this is alleged at this point. And right.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, Toby Maguire, who played Spider-Man, his correct. like brother is a big part of this. He, he's, he's one involved. of the
1: investigators. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's
2: Awesome it's, to be. It's really. I don't right know now. why I give a shit that toby Maguire's brother's like in my mind running around Hollywood cleaning shit up. Yeah. But maybe we've been paying attention to the wrong Maguire brother.
1: Maybe oh, he. Oh yeah, that's he, evident. Yeah, this definitely guy's been, the real hero. Yeah, even before I knew toby Maguire had a brother, yeah. I was like, weird. This is the wrong Maguire. Fox Find me man. another Maguire. Who's this guy? Let's try again, please. <laughs> We should also say that there were some allegations of uh, sexual misconduct against Stanley. Yes, not too long ago, against folks that uh, uh, home aides and people—I you know, I don't know that they were nurses exactly—caregivers, caregivers, people that worked in his home and that worked with him. There were several complaints of sexual misconduct leveled yes. against him, and this is all starting to get wrapped up. And we're—the picture is like starting to become clear of what is going on with this dude, and it seems like a very troubled very fraught situation seems like a huge bummer yeah, yeah sounds, we shall see.
2: sounds like people are just coming in and taking it stands 95 years old yeah you know he, he's in a vulnerable place and it sounds like people are just coming in and his daughter plays a big role in this and if you're interested in this at all i really recommend you dive into the internet and read about it because i was very troubled by it
1: yeah we should we'll we'll post to this show this is a pretty comprehensive like kind of review of the state of things we'll post a, a link to that article in the show notes you guys want to do the numbers? Yes! February 2018 saw an 8% decline in the comic book industry under the previous year, according to analysis from Comicron and ICV2 published late last week. In a fun twist, it was graphic novels leading the decline ahead of single-issue sales this time around, this month around, 18.5% and 3% respectively, the opposite has typically been true over the past year. I would call that a fun twist. Isn't that a fun twist? (laughs) Isn't it a fun, horrifying twist? More comics were shipped in February of 2018 versus 2017 to the tune of 793 titles this year to 768 titles last year. Interestingly, the big two actually published fewer books for the month. It was the smaller distributors that pushed the total down to where it landed. Image alone published 82 titles. In February. That is a ton of books. It was nearly a third more than its output in 2017. Image also secured a 10.5% market share, successfully breaking into the double-digit market share that so often eludes Image Comics. Month by month. The number one best selling single issue for the month was Dark Knights Rising, The Wild Hunt, number one, which clocked in at 101,000 copies sold. And John Jackson Miller, friend of the podcast from Comicron, reports that this is the lowest tally for a number one slotted comic book since 2011, before the new 52 relaunch, which really recalibrated the industry and made us re look at what a number one should be selling at in the comic book industry. The best selling graphic novel for the month was Saga Volume 8, which we should all just take a moment and recognize that that is an insane fact. Yes, that book you, came out in December. It's not a good fact. It is not a, a great fact. It's not a no. It's not a great fact. And the reason that graphic novels were down so far is because there weren't any big releases in February. But it's remarkable to me that that book can do so
0: well so many months after it re- releases. Yeah, traditionally in the top ten, every month you've got two That's what or I'm three saying. Saga volumes. It's such a beast. So much bigger than, than anything else. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. Which,
2: which is good, but I think it also says something about the state of the industry that, like, yeah, Saga continues to kind of be this juggernaut, but at the same time, like... It's not, I don't think it's particularly good that Saga Volume 8 is in the number one slot. Like, we should be putting shit out. It's not ideal. That, Agreed. That gets a number of Volume 8 out of that slot.
1: Yeah. You're, no, you know? you're you're totally right about that. Separate and apart from that, it's
0: cool that Saga continues to do so well. Right. But your point you're is well
1: taken. You're
0: such a fanboy. I love him. Just God. I'm just, a big fan. Let it go. The 101 copies, 101,000 copies sold for Dark Knights, the Wild Hunt one as the number one. Yeah that's the the shittiest number for for my money. Tell me why. We've talked about this before with the uh top 10 selling, you know, anywhere from 150,000 to, you know, even in the top 10 you start getting into like that 70-60,000 range. Sure. And then you're you've got this this valley, you know, of books selling 30 to 40,000 copies. Yeah. And then, you know, the top 300, the the three hundred book on that list is selling 6,000 copies. Sure. That's That's a bummer. The, and, and the reason that's a bummer is because if the first if the number one comics selling a quarter million copies, 400, 500,000 copies, mm-hmm. it does trickle down. Everything else on that list is selling much higher numbers. Yeah. so if, we're, if the starting point, if the jump off is 101, it's, it's, it's only downhill from there and that's a small hill. Yeah. So uh, that that sucks. It sucks. We're comparing bad on bad now too. Sure. So this, is, uh, yep. this is
1: February versus February. In February, wasn't that great last year. It sure wasn't. I think
2: the only solution to this problem is it's time for us to come out with a comic book about us. There's nothing to lose. (laughs) What? Let's throw some shit at the wall. I think a Super Skull little comic. We can do little spinoffs. Nick's adventure reading really big, boring books. Mm -hmm. Curtis organizes his video game collection. Marcus pretends he's
1: a farmer. There's spinoffs in the works, guys. You just pick the three worst, like most
0: boring attributes about all of us. we'll, we'll start at issue like 117. Go on. And that'll just be the first issue. Just be issue 117. And then we renumber it. And then we'll like three issues in. Yeah. We'll do an annual. Yeah. And then we'll. Can I pre-sue about this? Can I, su- Can I pre-sue I'm both of you start about the
1: this project? Out. We're, just, we're not going to use your
2: real name. Okay. It'll be like Captain Angry. You know what I mean? Like, we'll give you a code name. It's obviously going to be you, uh-huh. but we'll definitely give you a really good Okay, keep name. me
0: apprised on that. <laughs> on yeah, it's yeah. yeah. you know, going. Hey, we, we should really quick say that Image with that 10.5% market share. Yeah. I think the weakness in Marvel in particular mm-hmm. is allowing Image to gain a, a much firmer foothold. The more time that Image has to kick ass, and seep into comic stores, uh, the better it is, I think, for the industry and Image comic books becoming further entrenched as the third publisher. Sure. You know, because they're always kind of, you know, they'll dip down to 7 8%, 9%, look get up 10%. They got a litany of killer books. Absolutely. But a lot of comic shops don't order them. So as shops start looking for like, hey, man, Marvel's not selling as good. We need something to fill the gap. We need, yeah. you know, Image is going to keep... And it's evidenced by these numbers. They're going to keep making inroads into comic shops. Don't you think it's kind of a bummer that the numbers,
1: like market share and like the health of the industry, so directly correlates with number of titles shipped? That that fact bums me out and worries me about the health of the whole thing. Because it's not because Image has any number of like of my favorite books right now. Mm -hmm. Marvel has some of its ongoing books or some of my favorite books right now. Very true. So. But the numbers live or die to such a huge degree. Like we can see it. Image broke into double digits this month because they upped their output by a third. Like like that's a correlation, right? Like that's not – on. it was a slow month. So by just by virtue of putting out that many more titles and the big two putting out fewer, that gave them a bump, like a huge market share bump. It bums me out that that's the case. That it's not just on the quality of books that are already releasing. That there has to be these new titles. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, absolutely. And it, it feels like we're just fighting over that same pie. Yeah. That's the other the other part. It's like a pie that's maybe getting a tiny bit smaller or staying the same size, roughly. Mm-hmm. That's the bummer. That these books aren't finding an audience or finding a larger audience. They're not going out into the world in, in, and yeah. in in growing. It's so. a
2: collector's industry, though, in a way. You know, number ones are always gonna. Do better because there is a chunk of our community. I don't know how big it is, but we all—all all three of us—know that it's out there. Mm-hmm. There is a chunk of people who buy number ones, especially image number ones, yep. because there was a time where every image number one shot up to a seventy-five dollar resale value.
1: Yeah, and that's it. I and I—it pains me to think that, um, and I refuse to think that that is just how things are going to be. Go, oh, no, they forward. can't be. They can't be because yeah. it's not sustainable. But you're totally right. It's not but a real economy
2: is the bigger thing. It, there's no actual value other than what people are willing to pay. And as soon as you find out that it's the same 3,000 dudes trading number ones back and forth for 75 bucks, the whole thing goes to shit. Yeah. But, yeah, we have to hope that that's not a giant part of the market. But when you see that there's a correlation to new number ones and new issues put out— Versus market share, to me that shows that that collector's market is a big
1: part of the industry. Yep, and it totally is, and it totally is. But those are the numbers regardless. 800 it, books in a month, It's a lot of comics. That's a lot of comics, dude. That's a lot of comics. Maybe too many. That's how many, I mean that's industry wide. 793 titles. Shall we do some big pick Let's
0: pick them big ones. Hello, podsters. No! Thanks for listening to the Super Skull Show. We, every week, read all the comics in the world, and then we tell you all about them, only the best ones. But we need money. And if you could <laughs> find it in your heart to go to Super skull Show backslash donate, or just slash donate, and... Donate a little bit of cash to keep the lights on. We'd appreciate you.
1: Podsters? Mm-hmm. Hey, podsters. Hey, podsters. Hey, you guys are podsters? I'm a
2: podster. I'm a podster. <laughs> I'm a super podster. <laughs> I would like to go last this week.
1: Then you shall. Thank you. Then you shall go last. Thank you. Saith I from my big board, big boy chair. Curtis, Yeah. would you like to go
0: first and tell us what the best comic was that you read this week? I would be excited to do so because this ties into our our conversation that we were just having. Oh, okay. My pick for for my number one thing that I read this week was Infidel number one. Oh, we're part of the problem. (gasps) We always talk about number ones. We do. We're part of the problem. God darn it. It just dawned on you right then and then bang dawned on me.
2: Shit. I'm gonna be honest, both of you are pretty bad about picking number one, so I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> let it weigh <laughs> on you too much. Fair enough, fair enough.
0: I'm always picking the last issue of a <laughs> comic. Yeah, <Adami>. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: Curtis, this is the first time Curtis has picked a number one in like six months. So
0: <laughs> what was uh what's Infidel number one? What even is that? So uh this is a new book from hey, it's from Image It's the number one from Image Comics. Dope. Weird. This is uh from porn sack Pichot- I think you did as well as you could have done that is a hell of a name sorry I butchered that and Aaron Campbell and um Porn-Sack was an editor at Vertigo Comics from 2004 to 2010 mm-hmm. not this is his first comic uh, credit for, as a writer but this guy worked uh, at Vertigo when they were cranking out some crazy good books Unknown Soldier mm. The Losers We Three from Grant Morrison which is a shop favorite The Unwritten which was uh, Mike Carey totally dynamite book they, he did Day Tripper. He was there for Sweet Tooth. So to me, this is like my Golden Age of Vertigo right, right here. This
1: is like because you know Vertigo changed the whole game. I wasn't necessarily reading as many comics at that point. I was a lot younger. Maybe missed that first wave. This and, to me is yeah. like when
0: it, Vertigo could do no wrong during this period. Oh, that list of books, is, Unknown Soldier. That's I know that's in your top five all time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's unbelievable. We three. I can't recommend it enough. Day Tripper is. Uh, The Gabriel Ba and Fabio Fabio Moon. Moon. Holy shit, great book. So this guy has tons and tons of experience in the comic book industry. This is his first book as a writer. Aaron Campbell has done tons of work over at Dynamite Comics. Worked on Sherlock Holmes, Green Hornet, James Bond. This guy's a really, really great artist, but he's been just this total work for hire guy. Yeah, You know, couldn't really break into the mainstream of comic books. Was kind of always getting the same stuff. And I don't know why, because Aaron Campbell can draw like a motherfucker. The art in this book is top-notch. And let me tell you what it's about. This is a young couple moves in with uh, the husband's mom into this building in New York City that has uh, a really terrible story. A a a murder happened there. A a mass murder. A bunch of people died in this building. And we find ourselves months, months later where a lot of people have moved out. The people that remain in this building are... Crazy or a little bit shell shocked. You know, there's definitely some PTSD yeah. going on with the residents left in this building. Uh, something happened. There was some destruction, and the people who are uh, who own the building haven't rebuilt this thing. So mm-hmm. there's like all this caution tape. The building's just got this scary vibe. The people are shell shocked, and it's in uh, uh, disrepair. And we find ourselves uh, this young couple moves back in there, and um, nightmares are plaguing Aisha, one of the lead characters. And these nightmares are like super, super real. Like she's having this nightmare and knocks over a glass and then wakes up and that glass is in fact broken. Mm-hmm. So is it a nightmare? What's happening? Are there monsters in this building? The hook in this book is maybe the, the there's an entity in this building that feeds off xenophobia. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, tell us about Aisha a little bit. So she is a Muslim woman. Mm-hmm who has been disowned by her family because she's engaged to a non-Muslim, and he's a film guy who travels around a lot, and so they move back in with his mom, who has a history that they, they, they touch on, we don't really know, He Tom is the husband, or the, the fiance in this book, it's Tom and Aisha, and he has a history with his mother that is not great. Maybe she is a racist. Yeah. And um, they've had some trouble over his choice in in life mates. I don't, mm-hmm. I
2: don't know if there's a maybe. I think we can pretty solidly say.
1: Well, this is one of the things I really liked about this book is that there is a little bit of subtlety to it. There and I, is. And it's, it's entirely possible that the mom is like, has some, is harboring some re- resentments and some raci- racist notions, and but maybe also she's like trying to adjust to the situation, but it's baked in pretty deep. Right. It doesn't excuse it. Nope. But I like that she she's not a foaming at the mouth racist. No, nope. not at all. But she definitely
0: is out of line yeah. a lot of the time and, and is it, definitely wrong about a lot of shit. And there's also some supernatural shit going on. Yes. That is affecting the people that live in this building also. Do so- you get a
2: little Sandman vibe out of this book at all?
0: Why? Just the art, Campbell's
2: art kind of. I don't think Sandman, if this is Neil Gaiman's big book, but I think if that book was to be drawn in kind of a modern style, this is what I, I picture. Is Campbell's art? Mm. I got a kind. Of, I can see it working. I got a real Sandman vibe out of it in that in that aspect.
1: And there's also it's kind. It's, it's it's eerie and unsettling in the way that Sandman was, and kind of like ethereal. You don't know what's real. You
0: don't know what's not real. Right. So I can I see that. I can yeah. see that comparison. I
2: think if you like Sandman, you'll definitely dig this book for sure.
0: I am a horror snob. I, I I will go on record. I generally put my nose up at a lot of horror. I'm not scared at horror movies. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. I, I don't care about jump scares. A lot of horror movies are formula uh, formulaic. A lot of horror comics are formulaic. For me, I was I was actually scared shitless reading this comic. It's truly scary. I that never happens. It's like reading a, a, a comic book. I never you know get scared. This book was awesome. This is a great great first issue from two creators that I'm not super familiar with, but I will I will be back for the second issue. If you like a good horror story, that's that's I think modern and relevant and in. You know, is not ham fisted. I think it handles nope, what it's, it's trying not. to do just like super yeah. well. There's a lot of throat clearing in this first
1: issue. They're trying to, without any third party like narration. Or they're trying to do it all within, like, the body of the work and, like, the way that the characters talk to each other. They're trying to, like, give you the background on what's going in because they really drop you in the middle of it. They sure do. They really drop you into the middle of, like, this family's dynamic and this crazy stuff that has happened in the building. And as a consequence, like, they do have to say things to each other that, like, obviously everybody would know already, but they need to catch the reader up. That was my—but— that stuff's all fascinating and yeah. fleshed the world out and it felt but it just felt like a little throat cleary to sure, me. Sure, sure sure. Very, very
0: interested to see where it goes from there. You could tell they were walking the line too, like they for what they were trying to do it as subtly as possible. Totally. So uh, yeah, this it this is excellent uh, debut. Great cover, great art. Man, check it out. If you like horror. I really liked it. Infidel number one. Doop. that's Mar- my big pick marcus wants to go last so i'm gonna
1: go now i'm
2: afraid i'm gonna cry with my big pick so i knew I'm that's just, why you wanted to go i'm last. just
1: trying to put it towards the end i fucking knew it yeah all right you big sweetie you i pick eternity girl eternity girl from dc's young animal it's a number one issue
2: what's young animal
1: young animal is an imprint under dc comics uh from brought to us by gerard Way. Of Umbrella Academy fame and My Chemical Romance, a band I have never heard.
0: I, you know, I've said this a million times. I, wa- I want to listen to the band. I've never heard the band. I couldn't tell. What's What's the hit? They got what? Do you, Marcus, what's the hit? What's the My Chemical Romance hit? Hum a,
1: hum a few bars.
2: I. It's not coming to my mind. My I girl know wants to party all the time. There's no, no way. No 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 no, 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 no. It's more. It's more. Uh, like millennial punk. Okay. You know. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, kind of. I. Ooh. I know that there are some really diehard My
1: Chemical Romance
2: fans out oh, there. Oh, be still, careful. Be careful. I, I would put them in like the the Fallout Boy kind of category. With me. I did
1: not say that. Address all concerns to yeah, Marcus. You can fucking
2: send it to me. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But Uh, yeah, that's kind of right. The dude
1: writes really, really good comic books. That being said, not knowing anything really about his music, the dude writes really good comic books. Umbrella Academy is fantastic. All of his stuff that he's been doing with Young Animal has been very, very cool. I don't know exactly what his involvement is with the now kind of stable of titles underneath uh, the Young Animal label. Yeah, I think he's kind of the overseer, the editor, if you will, of the line. But it's great. Mm -hmm. They're all pretty like out there, and they are all taking strange chances. They're all superhero books, ostensibly, but- with really neat little twists and really like interesting choices
0: that you don't see in a lot of superhero books. Yeah, just keeping it keeping it weird. These keeping books it weird. are not for everyone because they they demand some attention. You cannot. This it's not an easy read nope. necessarily, and especially Eternity Girl Number One is not an easy
1: read. Ah, uh, this is by Madeline, or I'm sorry, sorry, Madeline Visaggio. She writes Kim and Kim. Uh, she's the winner of the Glad Media Award for Outstanding Comic, I think, in 2016. Recently, I was just reading about this, five publishers got into a bidding war over the rights to her next YA graphic novel. That's awesome. What, do you guys, what would that be like? If, if, if somebody got into a bidding war over you. I can barely get
2: one person to pay attention or desire my services, so.
1: Like, do you have an agent? <laughs> I was hoping you'd be my agent, actually. The artist is Sonny Lou who is the artist of Shadow Hero that he did with Jean Yang and Charlie Chan Chye, which is my shit.
0: You fucking love that
1: book. I love that book, that's one of my favorite graphic novels of maybe ever, it's, 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 it's a work of art. It's just so goddamn neat. It's so neat, and yeah. so good, and so expertly crafted. So that's what got me in the door, because it's just Sonny Lou doing single issue shit, you just don't, he just doesn't do a lot of it. That's true. So I was very, very pleased. Eternity Girl, huh, where do I start with Eternity Girl? She can't die, she wouldn't mind
0: dying. She's thinking hard about like, how do I
1: yeah, and she tries a lot get up out of here. She tries a lot to die, and she's not able to do so. She was involved in some kind of accident, the like, parameters of which I don't fully understand, but the, it gave her some special powers, some superpowers, even, yeah. and she was made a part of some kind of superhero team as a consequence of this.
0: Yeah, and she like this whatever organization you know uh, that's responsible for making her a super person. Yes, uh, now finds itself dealing with the ramifications of you know she got these great powers, but all kinds of shitty stuff happened too.
1: Right, and it's not clear she's not really happy with the the track of her life and where things have gone after that and uh, is completely unable to die. And she is met by some sort of force. Somebody meets her up and says like, hey, you know how you could die. Let's kill everything. If we end all time and space, you'll die for sure. And Eternity Girl is thinking about maybe hearing hearing him out. So I thought it was really, really interesting. Uh, I had no idea where it was going at any moment. And uh, the, the pacing was really, really neat.
0: Sonny Lou brings it, just like you hope he would. This art is so great, they allude to some battle that she had with like this supervillain. Yep. And now she's kind of maybe haunted by the specter or the still-living, we-don't-know, sort of mummified remains of this supervillain. Yes. It's very fucking cool. It's
1: very, very cool. It's very smartly done.
2: Now, I like this book, Nick, even though you and I have been known to disagree on comics from time to time. Because of taste, because of taste, but I would say that I I did not think that the timing was done particularly well. The pace.
1: Of oh the really? Book. Yeah, I thought it. W- I thought did it you w- get distracted by a bumblebee <laughs> while you were reading it? Did First you get of all, distracted? it's winter. There are no bumblebees. Did a hummingbird fly by your window and you were and you had to follow it?
2: No, it, but like there there's you know there's a number of ways to do pacing in a comic book. Mm-hmm. Um and and for this one I just it, I never really felt the beat of the book. Yeah. Um and it makes you work for it for yeah. sure. It yeah. is.
1: It is not smooth.
0: No, to read. It is yeah, some like yeah, really rough cuts. It's yep. like we're doing this part and then boom, next page. Wait, what's happening? Here. Where am I? Yep. I thought that was interesting because it made
1: me have to. It's a very strange take, and I it made me have to like read it a little bit closer because I would get a little bit lost. Um, but it never felt badly paced. It never felt incompetent. It just felt like they were going for a thing. Yes, me.
2: I agree. I, I will agree that they were going for a thing. Yes. I don't know if that thing turned maybe, out to maybe be- Maybe they didn't pull
1: it off as well exactly. as you were hoping. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Mm. That makes sense. Nevertheless, it is my pick, Eternity Girl number one. Marcus? Yes? Don't keep us in suspense anymore, buddy. So What are you w- going to cry about? <laughs> what are you going to cry about this
2: week? I'm not going to cry. I'm going to be fine. I'm an emotional man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this week, uh, DC came out with DC Comics, the art- of Darwin Cook in soft cover. Um, it's a big old collection of kind of little short stories, vignettes of Darwin Cook's work throughout his life. And then throughout the book, there's also just big, beautiful one-page spreads of his um, variant covers that he's done or concept art that he's done. Why
1: does he deserve such a, rep- with such a book? Because he... Where do we know him from? Yeah,
2: yeah. So Darwin Cook um, kind of first got his legs working for Bruce Timm on Batman the Animated Series, Mm -hmm. Uh, a a television series that is very dear to a lot of people in the late 20s, early 30s, and people who were already into comics at the time and kind of realized the genius of that show. Um, between that show and uh, X Men: The Animated Series, there's a pretty big argument for those two shows bringing in a, a new generation of comic character lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Darwin Cook came out of that and then went into the comic industry and has just turned out or turned out to be one of the titans of the industry.
0: Hit me with some titles, Curtis. Darwin Cook. Titles. Woman, When in Rome. Batman. Ego. DC. New Frontier. Go. Uh, Go. He did Go. just some Go. stellar Jonah Hex. Uh, Single issues he has worked on what else why am I blanking Parker Parker which is incredible He did a beyond or excuse me before Watchmen book oh that's about the Minutemen that's like I always forget about that was holy shit Good Mm -hmm. the thing about Darwin Cook is if I'm DC Comics I would define almost the entire style of my company off of Darwin Cook, he you would make him like a Jack Kirby esque fi- cat, like a figure where it's like, hey, everybody, draw like this, please. Absolutely, the you know his version of Superman. This is what Superman looks like. Yeah, copy Darwin Cook. You know, whatever, put your stank on it. But every single character drawn by Darwin Cook, he draw he's drawn it better than anyone who's ever drawn the character. Yeah, the definitive fucking version.
2: I also think there's a really important thing because his art is kind of like Bruce Tim's art. You could tell that these two dudes worked with each other. Um and but Darwin Cook then takes it and puts his own unique spin on it. For so for those of us who grew up with that Batman animated series, you can jump into a Darwin Cook book and feel immediately comfortable with the art style because you grew up with that art style. Um, and for me, I I've I've gone on the air and said that I think New Frontier is a masterpiece mm-hmm. of what comics can do and what you can do with. Comic folklore kind of uh, stuff that's put on a pedestal. The origin, Mythic. Mythic is a great way to put it. What you can do with that to make it relevant and fun and fresh and showcase. Darwin Cook was just the best at what he did. And this collection for $30, you can see, I sometimes forget about the breath that Darwin Cook
1: had. Me too.
2: Because it's happening.
1: Um because it's happen what he what Marcus means by that is he's getting a I'm little, getting emotional. He's getting a little misty eyed.
2: Because when I think of Darwin Cook, I think about the the titans of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, the and- characters, you mean? The characters, the stories, you know. I think about the stuff that kind of I would I would say he when he was in the top of his game. Yeah. Um New in New Frontier being, you know, the the cream of the crop for that. But they were they did a, they did a really good job with this book about pulling from everything that that dude had done at DC. So
1: what do we have? We have some short stories. We have some vignettes. We have some excerpts from longer stuff. Yep, we absolutely. have a ton of variant covers that yep. he did and covers that he's done,
2: and and uh, sketch art and and panels and stuff like that.
1: When I saw this book, I was like, "Why didn't we get like a?" But I I guess my immediate reaction was like, "Why didn't we get a Chris Ware esque?" Like, essay filled, process based. Like, I want to see the sketches, and right. like, I want to see the fucking. Whoever picks somebody to like, I want to see Neil Gaiman like writing about why Darwin Cook was the shit. So when I first saw this book, I was like, oh, this is I don't know, if this is what I wanted. And then I read it, and I was knocked out by it. It's the best way to celebrate Darwin Cook is to just read the work and to just like see what a master of his craft he was. Like that, it's so much better than a retrospective.
2: Well, and I want a retrospective.
1: I still want. I want a
2: hundred and fifty dollar coffee table size retrospective. I'm right there with you. Yeah, but
1: if I want to like sit down and think about Darwin Cook and remember this Darwin a, Cook, yeah. that's, this is the way to do it.
2: I 100% agree. Because it's
1: your, it's, it's your reaction from your gut and from your heart and just like remembering these stories and not like just thinking about the dude.
2: Yeah, about halfway through um, getting into this, I just stopped reading the stories because I had read a ton of them. And I was just like, I because I kept, Finding myself, I'd be, like, I'd be reading a story, I'd be like, man, this dude's really good. And then I'd, I'd take a little peek a couple pages ahead to try to find a variant cover. Yeah. And then I'd go back to reading. I'd finish that one, I get into the next story. and I found myself taking a little peek. What, what variant covers are next? Yeah. And then at one point, I was like, fuck it. And I just stopped. And I flipped through the book and I looked at every single variant cover in there. And I just took five minutes with each variant cover and just explored all the little things that this dude did with his variant covers and his different style and the evolution of his style. And, man, I got emotional. Well,
0: and we should say, for those who who maybe don't know, that Darwin Cook did pass away last year. Yes, he did. Yeah, We uh, didn't mention that. You know, he, he in his prime, too, he was a young man when he died. This guy had so much more to give. He had twenty five more years of of genre defining, you know, stuff still left to go. So I mean, the industry that that was a big loss to comics totally. uh, for sure. So um, yeah,
2: I just don't think anyone has captured the historic nature of comic books and yet kept things relevant and fresh. To the level that Darwin Cook did, I put him up there with the Jack Kirby's of, of the comic industry for sure. Yeah. And I think that as time goes on, he 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 deserves to be remembered as such. I think I, I hope that this is the first of many kind of collections about Darwin Cook, and I hope we get a wide breadth of them. Yeah. Um, but goddamn, the dude was just the best, and for me, he defines my generation in kind of growing into comics. And um, this is a really great way to honor his memory.
1: DC Comics, The Art of
0: Darwin Cook DC Darwin Cook I just got got it Wait, I just got it Holy shit No, this guy will make you read a a Jonah Hex book, man Make you read a Catwoman book I can't wait to sit down with this The big picks this week were Infidel, number one, from Image Comics
1: Eternity Girl from DC Comics, Young Animal in print And The Art of Darwin Cook, also from DC Comics Them's the big picks.
2: Them, them's the big
1: picks. That's how they do crumble.
2: I didn't cry, guys. I held it back. I, I almost did. Sounds like you're crying. There's a hot moment. Don't lie to our listenership. Sounds like you're crying. <sighs>
0: Shall we move on from these tears? Finally, the tears, we leave them behind yep. and move on to...
1: We're going to have to sop them up before we... Cause we can't leave the studio in this state, you guys. This tear-filled, sorry swamp of a state. Did you uh, Did you know... Curtis, for instance... tell him Yes. Did you know that every month, Vault of Midnight,
0: the comic book store, what supports Super Skull, picks a book of the month? I had no idea. That's incredible. We should have let you know. God, You'd think I would... Somebody would have told me Should at some give point. Should you a heads up. Yes. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's all right. Well, we do pick a book of the month every single month. Okay.
1: And this month it is *Incognito* from Dark Horse. Right and on.
0: This is a 10th anniversary reprint of this really amazing book. It's 10 years old. See, now this is the thing. When a book comes out like, and they say the 10th anniversary and I feel like it was two years ago.
1: Yeah. You then, feel old, huh?
0: I, I feel like- You feel pretty old? What the hell, Yeah. man. That was 10- 10... <laughs> years ago yeah come on time's time huh time Time right time is time am i right am i right you know the weather too man so uh (laughs) let's get into it you want to get into it let's
1: uh let's talk about what this book's about a little bit did you gentlemen have a chance to read the book of the month yes i did
2: most of it let's review
1: most of it it's a racist uh, fuck you
2: (laughs) go to hell no it's it's a it doesn't see it's a deceivingly big book and what I mean by that is it doesn't look like a giant tome. It's dense. It's dense as
1: fuck, though. Yeah.
2: And it's not a book that I would ever recommend speed reading. No. Because you, you do yourself an injustice if you read it that way.
1: Let's talk about it. Incognito is a story of Zane Pinchback. He's a reporter for the New Holland Herald. It's a newspaper based out of New York City. We're in the 1930s. Sometime in the 1930s. He has made, Zane has made a name for himself under the pseudonym Incognito. Wherein he infiltrates and observes lynchings and acts of violence around the country while he passes, quote unquote, passing as a white man. Mm-hmm. Pinchback is black, but he has fair-toned skin, and with the help of some adjustments to his appearance, like he puts on a little bit of light makeup, he treats his hair. He's able to appear white and like walk through these like these crazy lynching crowds, these like crazy like groups of racists and Klansmen and just people who live in these towns, and is able to observe things that a black reporter otherwise would never be able to observe. Right. So his most recent investigation of a lynching goes horribly wrong, and he gets chased out of town, and he barely escapes with his life, like literally chased across the train tracks out of town. And when he gets back to New York City, he's like, I'm done. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. it's too much. It's too much, and I've made my name. I've proven that, you know, I've proven my chops. It's time for me to, like, write under my own name and start to, like, build my career as a journalist without this pseudonym any further. But his editor's like, okay— you know, this this is a very successful pseudonym. This is working really well for us. And I got this one more job. I think you should look at it. Right. Turns out it's Zane's brother has been arrested for the murder of a white woman in Tupelo, Mississippi. So he heads down to the South once again to uh, use the, the skills that he's learned as an investigator and to try to figure out what's going on and like see if he can get his brother out of jail and see, you know, try to figure out what the situation is. So what did you guys—so tell me a little bit about uh, the writer's Matt Johnson. Yes. Tell me a little bit about Matt Johnson.
2: So he's born and raised in Philadelphia, um, and the dude just lived in the world of academia throughout his kind of young adult life. He attended Westchester University, the University of Wales, uh, Earlham College, uh, while pursuing an undergrad degree. He just bounced around all these different universities, did some study abroad, and then he was awarded what's called the Thomas J. Watson Fellowship, named after the former chairman and CEO of IBM. Probably a rich dude. I would, If you get your own fellowship. Probs. I would imagine. But, um... This is given to students who have a focus of study that has to do with stuff that cannot be researched in the United States. It's about people going out to other countries, learning about new stuff, and bringing it back. The whole idea is innovation can only happen when you experience things that are outside of your comfort zone. And he gets this fellowship. Uh, Through his research with this fellowship, he's admitted into Columbia University where he gets a Master of Fine Arts. He's taught at Rutgers University University. Columbia University, Bard College, and is a permanent faculty member at the University of Houston. So dude is like, and yeah. I, I love that shit, right? Dude is just living in the world of academia, and, and it's, it's very, very cool. Um, his first no- novel was a prose book called Drop. Uh, it was selected as a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers section. I know that doesn't seem like a big deal, um, but I used to work in the prose book industry and, like, big book companies, when they pick a title to be, like, a book of the week or book of the month, huh. something like that, it can explode in awful. I was going to say, I that feel like the sales sense. would go from, yeah. from,
0: from something, whatever it's going to be, to, you know, it's like the spiel, like, you know, it's going to go from 10,000 copies to a quarter million copies, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, just getting on, like, when you go to a Barnes and Noble or a bigger books a million and you see like a staff picks wall or, you know, that is not employees of those stores. Most of the time going out and picking books and writing little things like their corporate offices come up with those lists and then order extra books and put them there. Yeah. Um, And it can, it can make a career out of a prose writer to get them in front of people. It's a huge deal, but it was also uh, the, the book drop was also listed as a best novel of the year. Uh, by Progressive Magazine. He broke into comics with a five-issue limited series called Hellblazer Special, Papa Midnight. Have either of you dudes read this series? Have you read this
1: series,
0: Papa Midnight? (laughs) Hey, that's me, Papa Midnight. Why am I talking like an Italian guy? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I have read it. Well, I read the first issue when it came out, for sure. Good? Very cool. Cool. Excellent book.
2: Um, And then followed that up with The Great Negro Plot, which was a nonfiction story about the New York slave uh, insurrection of 1741, which was a plan by slaves and poor whites in the then colony of New York, British colony of New York, uh, with the end goal is to just burn that city, burn New York City to the ground. Fuck. Um, Really interesting. Went down the rabbit hole on it last night. Um, And a a very fascinating piece of American history that I had never heard of as someone who studies American history. Um, And then in 2008, uh, Vertigo published this book of the month. Uh, In 2007, he was named the USA James Baldwin Fellow. It's a $50,000 grant um, awarded by that public charity for people who do great work in USA literature.
0: Right on. So that's the writer.
1: Matt Johnson. Yes. What about the artist Warren Police? Warren Police is a British- Do you think, first of all, before we uh-huh. go any further, mm-hmm. did you determine if his name is a play
0: on the novel Warren Peace*? It should be, but it's not. Oh. I can find no documentation to substantiate right. that. Should it be? Yeah. All right, go ahead. It feels right. Warren Police is a British-born comic artist- who's been drawing professionally since 1987. So he started self-publishing small books with his brother. uh, But then he did work for Vertigo Comics, lots and lots of Vertigo stuff in the United States. He did a book called True Faith, which uh, was over at Vertigo Mm -hmm. with a writer named Garth Innes, who we really, really like. He's very famous for a book called Preacher. Uh, Steve, who is one of the owners of of Midnight, loves this book, True Faith. It's a crazy story about a guy who loses his wife when she's giving birth to his child and... He decides that he's going to destroy Christianity. He doesn't believe in God anymore, and he's going to go burn down churches and take out priests. This is a Garth Ennis story? Garth Ennis story. It's absolutely batshit crazy. Got a lot of press at the time. People were none too happy with the- That sounds like some (laughs) Garth Ennis shit, man. (laughs) Totally. Just attacking it. Um, So uh, he hit big with the notorious book with Garth Ennis, but he's also worked on Hellblazer, Dead Enders, Sandman Mystery Theater, which ran for, you know, 80 issues. And then he also worked on The Invisibles with Grant Morrison. So he's got this really, really great pedigree over at Vertigo Comics, working with some of the biggest writers in the history of the medium. He's also worked over at 2000 AD and on Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot about Warren online professionally, but not a whole lot personally. Yeah. So dude's a very prolific artist and uh, a very good artist. So, and he's back for, um, the sequel to incognigro which is just out last week Incognito Harlem Renaissance there you go
2: and we should point out that this book is done in grayscale there is no color
1: black and white black and white and gray black and white and gray
2: but um, yeah and I think I don't uh, it, it it's rare how do I want to put this I think it it is served very well in that format
1: how do you, uh, how do you think why is that
2: um look skin color plays a giant role in this book yep and particularly the main character's um, kind of lighter skin tone mm-hmm. is so important. And it plays a role with how he deals with white people. It's how he deals with black people. They,
1: uh, so you think that was a choice in order to, for the effect of passing? I and think I, You might be right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so.
2: that was my takeaway at least.
1: Sure. Um, because his... To accentuate the effect of passing, I should correct. say.
2: Correct, yeah. And his, his skin tone affects literally every person that he interacts with. Sure. Because there's a thing about him, you know, going to try to pass off for being white and there's interactions that he has with white people who, you know, would not interact with him in the same way due to his skin color. But there's also a thing about, like, he... You know, he is a member of the New York City like black community. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they interact with him in a certain way because he has a lighter skin tone as well. And I think this kind of grayscale coloring and in, in lack of color is in my mind was done to kind of accents that for
1: that effect. Yeah, I thought yeah. so. And successfully, you know. Absolutely. I, I think yeah. it totally works. Yeah. So Did you guys enjoy the book? Quite a bit yeah it's a tense it's a tense run it's a tough book to read man yeah. it's a tough book to read did you like the book Nicholas I liked it a lot uh, I had not read this book since probably in ten years probably since we got you know the the collection of the first uh
0: the first iteration of this book yep I haven't revisited either this was a book that uh it didn't feel like it uh, when I was reading it it came back to me yep but uh, yeah it's been yep a full decade since I checked it out yeah so I mean there's a lot of things I liked about this book.
1: Where to begin? So the subject matter and the premise alone, I think, would have been enough to keep this book afloat. Um, it's pretty intense. This is unprecedented territory for comic books. I can't think of another comic book in two thousand seven or in two thousand now that has the that approaches this stuff as dead on as uh, as Matt Johnson and Warren Pleas do in this book. Um, it is, like, unflinching. It is looking at the most horrible, the, mo- the realest shit in our history, and it's just, like, staring it down. I can't think of another book that comes even close. Really. The, no. The only not s- in comic books, for sure. Not in comic sure. books.
2: Yeah, the only series I could think of would be Mark Wade was doing that series, Strange Fruit, for a little while that never took off and was very weird. It was... And, it, I would not, not even good. put it in the same ballpark. No, but it's just... It's not a... a, a topic of conversation that the comic you're right. book yes. industry tackles at all.
1: Yes. Mark Wade tried to tackle it. Not well. And didn't do a very good job, no. I don't think. No. But, but yeah. you're right. that that At least he was, you know, that was an attempt at, the,
2: but it's, at it's, the subject matter. In a way, it's kind of sad that that's the only thing that comes to mind over right. the last seven years.
1: Right. So even on its face, like, that is enough to get you in the door and to make like this, the book deserves to be like treated seriously just for the way that it tackles the subjects and the way that it (laughs) tackles racism and racial violence and lynching like that enough is is to get me in the door anyway but the writing is so good that's like from the news. like I just think about the characters like the news desk editor or Carl, who's like Zane's scheming buddy, right? Who like lives in New York City and like goes down south with Zane uh, to Michaela Mathers, the like quote unquote murder victim in this book. Like they, every character is so like unique and interesting and realized, and they have their own shit going on, and they have, and you know what all of their deal is. Like I could tell you about, and like even some of like the tertiary side characters, sure. I can tell you a lot about like what they were up to and what they what they were trying to get out of the situation. And that's, he didn't need to go that far to, like, have this book be worth reading. Do you know he, what I'm saying? Yeah,
2: he does a great job with tone. You can have five characters all having a conversation, and they can all have a different tone to them. Yep. And even though we don't hear anything because you're reading it off the pages, just the way that he uses language inflicts tone in a way that I don't think many other comic book writers have been able to successfully tackle.
0: Yep. So Oh, please, go ahead. No, please, please, please. Oh, I was going to say, I, I, I'm a crime fiction lover. Yes. I love comic books that are about hard-boiled crime noir stuff. And and there's a lot of, you know, tropes to that genre. Yeah. You know? In a cool way. In a cool way. And I think they, they exist in this book, uh, but he still, he pulls them off with like a kind of a finesse uh, that, you know, it, it can be a little hammy in a crime noir novel. You know what you're getting into. Yeah. You've been there, you've done that. You know, she walked in. I knew she was trouble. You know, there there's things that you've you've seen before. And I think they're all present in this book, but they he he has a finesse that uh really really sells it. So the at its heart, this book, and I'm glad you brought it up, it's just a rock solid murder mystery. Yeah. Like
1: it, it's it zigs and zags and like you know there's double crosses and triple crosses and like betrayal and you know people get punched out and like there's all there's all of like you say like these tropes of the genre, but it's done so well and so competently that it stands completely alone as a murder mystery. But the subtext, like the racial violence and the racism, gives the whole thing a weight that like mysteries don't have. Like this is my problem with mysteries in general is that they feel kind of weightless. Sure. Like the stakes are like, you know, as good as the book is is going to be. Like, how much do you care about the dude that's going around punching people? By and large, right, right. But and it's cartoon violence is the other thing. It's like when somebody gets like, you know, knocked over a car, or you know, when it's there's a shootout at the bar or whatever. Like this, this stuff, it's fake, and you know it's fake. It's mis, it's it's that kind of like mystery, stylized Dick Tracy violence. This violence is very real it's like super scary and threatening and much and like rooted in historical horror it just gives the whole thing so much more menace that most mysteries can't achieve
0: no the uh the palpable feeling that at any second he's going to be caught that zane is going to be revealed yeah as as a black man in the midst of like deep deep you know <laughs> Uh, in the middle of, of of a lynching. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. I mean you can feel it every page you're flipping is, you know, th- this book was very tense. Yeah. And I forgot how tense like every page like please he keeps making these decisions throughout this book that's taking him deeper and deeper and I'm don't do it man. Get out. Right. You can't ha- you can't save them. You you better just get out of town while you still can. Yes. Every page. It was awesome in that respect.
1: Yeah. But very like um it's I guess if there's one thing to take away from this is that like that it's very competently done on a bunch of different levels right. as a piece of like of an exploration of racism in America as a murder mystery, as a character study uh it's as a family drama in some ways like it just fires on all cylinders. I was completely blown away by rereading this book.
2: One of the things that I got as I like, was getting ready for the podcast. You know, sometimes when I read a book that I'm not particularly familiar with the writer or mm-hmm. artist, I think at the end of it, like, what do I want to see this dude write in kind of greater comic book fandom? I think this dude could put out a spirit book that would be up there with any,
1: you thought other crime, noirs. Y- yeah. Stuff. But I
2: also thought like, because he does human conflict so well, I think this dude could do any teen book and make it really fascinating.
0: You just want and everyone really, to do a teen book. A teen I, book?
1: <laughs>
2: team. Sorry, oh, team. Oh. <laughs> like a team up book. Sorry, not a teen book. <laughs> not a no, teenager book. That is not what I got out of Don't this. Don't you think it would be all.
1: great if the whole thing was set in a high school? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, absolutely. I do. But no, I think um, I, th- I think if, if the, uh, he wants to go into broader comic books, uh, the industry should welcome him with open arms, because he does conflict and tension better than just about anyone I've ever read.
1: Yeah. And again, the sequel's coming out right now, and it's, so far, it's only two issues in right now, but it's rock solid. Yeah, yes. it's a
0: prequel to this one. Yes. It is very nice. And Warren Police has gotten even better as an artist. Totally. It's just this really clean, sparse style that really, really gets the job done. So, highly recommend. That, I'm giving I that- I mean, obviously. Yeah. We picked it. It's the book of the month. It's a book of the month. Yep. Do it now. Check it out. Read about Matt Johnson. Read about Matt Johnson. What an interesting, kick-ass dude. And he's speaking from his own life, which is really, really cool. Um, you know, I have friends who are um, of mixed race mm-hmm. and uh, lighter skin. and And this book just made me consider stuff, too, in a way that- you know not only can he pass as a, a white guy but how that affects him you know in his own community sure. it, it's just a, a a very uh personal i think exploration of his own life through this fiction which
1: he writes about a little bit in essays at the front and back of the book yep too so that e is incognito from dark horse comics now originally a vertigo book now it's being brought to us by uh dark horse and it's matt johnson and warren please check it out you got to check it out. Got it. And that's actually going to do it for us today. That's the whole podcast. That's the whole podcast. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is
0: recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, review the Super Skull Show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you would. You know what? I learned We we shouldn't say iTunes
1: anymore. Don't say iTunes. Apple Podcasts. It's not iTunes anymore. Oh shit! That shit is
0: passe. Apple Podcasts. Okay.
2: Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram,
1: and our website. Super Skull Show is how you find us. Just want to also
0: say what a like cool
1: community of people we have that uh, interacts with Super Skull and that like talks to us on the internet,
0: and uh, it's it's nice. It's y- super nice. Y'all the best. You guys are the best. We, we super love you. We we record this thing and then you listen to it and then you engage with us. Yeah. It's incredible. It's very, very good. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff
1: and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you good reading until next week.
2: Come you are. As I
0: want you. Mm-hmm.
2: As you what? As I want you to be. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Ah! Uh-huh.
2: You think you could take Kurt Cobain in fight?
0: Forty-year-old Curtis, yeah, I would fucking smash his face in.